it's about the program and it's about the players involved in it. So as long as every decision that we make is prioritizing the program and its health and the players and their development, then we can't really go wrong. And then God willing, he's got 40 to 50 more years left that he's got to be a husband and a father and a man. And if I haven't prepared him for that, then what have I really done? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. Thanks for tuning in to yet another episode as we head back into the realm of an assistant high school baseball coach. But first, you know the drill. Hit the link in the show notes, join the club, get the weekly newsletter, and don't forget to leave a rating wherever you're listening. And please share this thing on social media. That's how we grow it. That's how we get more high school coaches connecting and learning from each other. Thanks for everything you do for student-athletes. And a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring another edition of the High School Coaches Club. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, turf, windscreen, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball, softball, huge markets for netting pros, but they do have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across the country, providing high-quality products and services to recreational, college professional, and of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking Netting Pros out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. And if you're listening to this in the same month in which it went live, it's May, which means it's Mental Health Awareness Month. So a huge thanks to my guy, China McCarney, and the Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation for sponsoring all of our episodes in May. AAAD is dedicated to providing resources to anyone dealing with a mental health issue by taking a modern approach to mental health. Through raising awareness and funds, AAAD is able to provide resources like free therapy to those that are suffering. AAAD is also proud to now offer the Mental Health Manual and Companion Journal, where you can get to work on your own mental health. Visit aaadf.org and mentalhealthmanual.org for more information, and let's all be the change for mental health. All right, let's do this thing. Kyle Douglas is an assistant baseball coach at his alma mater, Coffee County Central High School in Manchester, Tennessee. He jumps in here with some awesome insights into opening the lines of communication, what being a loyal assistant coach really means, and everything in between. So let's dive in. It's episode 33 with Kyle Douglas. Hey, Kyle, thanks for joining the show. I uh, appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we've interacted over uh, Twitter for probably a number of years now, so it's kind of, it's always kind of weird to hear someone's voice after all these years of just interacting through texts. Right. Absolutely. You know, you kind of get this idea of who somebody is just based off your uh, your social media interactions, and uh, in those ideas, you never really put a voice with a face. So <laughs> it's true. Um, before we before we dive in too far or at all, really, um, I I also teach English, and I know you teach English too, and I know that. Um, for a lot of coaches, we end up being PE teachers or uh, social studies is another popular one. Um, there aren't as many that teach English. Uh, what what got you into English? Um, <laughs> to be real with you, it was the fact that uh, it was available at the school I wanted to be at. Um, so I actually, I was teaching business. I was teaching personal finance at the school I was at. And 
there was a position available at the high school that I wanted to coach at. And when I reached out, they said, well, we got math and we got English available if you want to do either one of those. And I said, well, I don't think I could go to work every day and teach math, so I, I guess I'll do English. And <laughs> here we are. So just That's kind of hilarious. figuring it out on a daily basis. That's uh, almost similar to how I ended up in English. I was I was I majored in history, and then I went to get my like masters here in Oregon to to teach. And the person running it was like, "Well, at the time there wasn't a lot of social studies openings, like everybody was doing it." And she's like, "You should probably add English too." And originally, I was like, "No, I don't, <laughs> don't want to do English." As, as I do like one English class in college, but here I am. I'm in year like seven teaching English. Right, right. That was you know I was. It was one of those things where I was scared to say yes to it because I said, well, if I do it, they're probably never going to let me out of it. But it hadn't been a bad decision so far. You know, I enjoy it and I work with great people. So I've been faking it well enough to make it through the first year. So I figure it can only go up from here. Yeah, it can only get better. That's awesome. Well, it's it's awesome to have you on the show. Like I said, we've interacted over Twitter for a number of years. And so um, getting to talk to you uh, is, is, is pretty exciting. Um, I know you're coaching now at the high school that you actually went to. Can you take me back to your high school days and kind of just run through what, what the sports experience was like for you? Yeah, so um, in high school – we had a freshman JV and a varsity team whenever I was a freshman. Um, so it was kind of like, I mean, almost like an organization working your way up through the levels. And so our freshman season finished up pretty early, but me and three or four other freshmen got called up to play for JV, which, you know, in our own little world here is like, it's like getting called up to AAA. And so we were really amped for that. And not only for the fact that we got to play JV ball as freshmen, but we got to travel with varsity and we got to watch those varsity games. And uh, that was a really cool experience at a young age, um, especially when <clears throat> the world's so small that you don't see outside of your own high school. And to us, like we're watching big leaguers play whenever we're on the JV team watching varsity district games. Um I was actually talking to Coach Chaffin about it. I can remember being a freshman watching <clears throat> a district playoff game where they started a kid named Jared Davis. And in my head and in my memory, he's eight feet tall, 350 pounds, throwing 125 miles an hour. Like, just thinking there's no way this guy should be playing high school ball. He should be pitching for the Yankees. And so, you know, working up through that, we got into uh, – Sophomore year, me and that group of guys, we, we played varsity ball regularly. And between my sophomore and my junior year, uh, we had a coaching change that at the time uh, didn't go over real well with the players, but long term ended up being a really, really pivotal point in my life. Um, Coach Brent Whitlock was hired whenever I was a junior in high school. And personal development wise, he's one of the most influential people in my life at this point. I've still got a relationship with him. I still kind of lean on him and his, his ideas and his knowledge, but man, it was like, for him, it was like reining in a wild horse, man. Like I, I couldn't get my head on straight, especially that first year I was running triangles every single day at practice just because it was a strict, no cursing rule first day out. Hey, no way he enforces this drop a bomb, Douglas, you got triangles after practice. Great. 
So daily thing. Um, and we end up going into senior year and his and I relationship got a lot better. And I ended up being voted a captain along with two or three other of my teammates. And, and it was really beneficial for all of us to play under him. Uh, we had the benefit of playing in a regional game, which is kind of the next level past district tournament down here in Tennessee. And that was the farthest that we made it when I was in high school. It was a pretty cool thing, pretty, uh, pretty cool experience. And it was, it was really, really valuable. You know, high school ball is awesome. It's, it's influential anyways, but being able to look back and say that I had a coach over those two years who helped develop me as a man was really, really valuable. Really, you know, it was a privilege. Yeah, it probably helps you on the coaching side for you too, because you've been kind of experienced with a coach and you can kind of fall back on what you went through and how that kind of helped you become a better guy. Absolutely. You know, it's one of those things where I can, I can look at guys and say, Hey, I've been there. Hey, I know what it's like to go through this or to have to like deal with this situation almost. And it, you know, it, it, it does help a lot. All right. So we finish up high school uh, and I know your, your playing days didn't necessarily end there. So what, what happened after high school? So I ended up playing at Freed Hardeman university in West Tennessee, um, real small town of Henderson. I mean, it, it's about 30 minutes Southeast of Jackson for anybody familiar with the area. If you're not familiar with the area, it's about an hour East of Memphis and tiny little town, um, had to drive 30 minutes to get to Walmart. Everything closed at midnight. It was the first time in my life I experienced a McDonald's that actually closed. Um, <laughs> yeah. So end up going there and man, almost, it's funny looking back at it, almost the exact same experience, you know, like I was, I was, went through some growth my junior and senior year of high school, get to Freed, and same thing, freshman, sophomore year, some things don't bounce my way, and I didn't necessarily deal with it the right way. Um, but then junior and senior year, go through the whole personal development process again, the lessons I needed to learn, and some accountability that I needed to take, and ended up having some really cool experiences. You know, we three out of my four years there, we ended up making it to an NAIA regional um, my senior year, I was, um, I was tabbed to be our, our number one guy in the rotation. And I went out opening weekend and I actually, my labrum was torn and I didn't know it. And so I pitched opening weekend and we played a really, really good Oklahoma city team come back next week. And I couldn't use my arm, just not functional, took a couple weeks off came back in, still couldn't use it, went and got an MRI, said, hey, your labrum's torn. So my year ended and, you know, that's tough enough being your senior year. But then our team got hot and we ended up making it to the NAIA World Series for the first time in history. So it's one of those situations where, you, you know, you're finding balance. Um, it was awesome to see that for our program, for our little town and for the guys involved. It absolutely sucked being at home watching it, knowing that I had the opportunity to throw and for whatever reason, uh, God just didn't have it in the cards for me to be the guy that year. And looking back on it, I can definitely see that that was life setting me up to step into the coaching world. Um, still sucked at the time, you know, but 
we end up going to the World Series, and not only going to the World Series, but we played for the national championship against Southeastern University. So it was it was really really cool for the the community and for our program. And after that, Coach Estes asked me to be a graduate assistant my next year, which was not expected in any way, and that kind of helped transition me into the coaching world, I guess. Is that something that before you had wanted to be like, were you like during your time in college, were you thinking about coaching at all? Or is this something that kind of just came out of nowhere? So I guess to, to rewind a little bit, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I was a business major, was doing baseball, didn't really, because I, there was stuff I was good at, but nothing that really lit a fire in my stomach. And a travel ball coach that I had played for, his name was Greg Burgess. Um, he reached out to me one day, my sophomore year of college, and said, hey, we're starting a travel ball organization uh, based out of Nashville. Would you have any interest in helping coach? And the summer before, I had been a waiter at Logan's Roadhouse. And I said, if you can pay me enough that I do not have to serve steaks anymore, then absolutely. <laughs> and so – we figured that out and that was really my uh my first step into coaching and that kind of that summer opened my eyes to man if there's a way that I can do this this is what I want to do because this is awesome it it inspires me it makes me wake up every day wanting to do this like this is what I want to do if I can make it happen yeah, that's pretty cool. I I think a lot of people go through that where it's like there's a moment. Um, I know for me anyway in college where I ended up coaching for a little bit during my time in college. Uh, it was like a seventh and eighth grade team, <laughs> um, right. but it filled the itch. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is definitely something that I could see myself doing. Um, so you become the an assistant at Freed. Um, did you at the time that you were there? Did you see yourself being a long time college coach, or was this something where you always kind of knew you'd end up in the high school ranks? So my original plan was, if it's possible, I want to coach college baseball. Mm -hmm. um, and so I decided, hey, I'll get my master's degree in education because they're always going to need teachers and they're always going to need coaches. So that's a fallback plan if I need it. And throughout my – I was looking for some jobs here and there. Um, we got married, my wife and I did, in January of my graduate assistant year. So, I mean, legitimately like a week before practice and four weeks before our first game, we get married – she has no job because she graduated in December. I have my GA job, so I'm making a hundred bucks a month. <laughs> like you want to talk about humble beginnings and and some humility. It, it was awesome starting from there for us. But I knew if I could, I wanted to get in a college ball. And anybody who's been there and anybody who's in this realm knows. I mean, you don't coach college ball, especially for the paycheck. Um, nobody coaches for the paycheck, but man, college ball is, it is a grind. And so I was looking for jobs here and there, interviewed at a couple places. I think we interviewed at a school in Michigan, a school in Western Tennessee. And for whatever reason here and there, it just didn't work out, be it on my part or the school's part. And I think in March of my GA year, I got offered the head coach job at Laverne High School in uh, Middle Tennessee. And it's in one of the biggest and best districts in the state. 
I was like, you sure you want to do that? Like 23 years old, I got no head coaching experience, <laughs> but man, if, if you want to, like I'm game, let's make it happen. And they offered me the job. And so me having no job and going from a GA paycheck to that opportunity, I said, well, I, I can't be stupid and turn that down, especially with a wife that I got to make sure like, is taken care of. So that's how we ended up in high school ball. And not that it's a bad thing at all. You know, it's been awesome here. Yeah, I think the I, I, to be a college baseball coach to me sounds like the life until, right. like you mentioned, until you start thinking about the actual pay part of it. Because uh, we all know, especially in the baseball world, we all know college coaches who had to be you know volunteer assistants and work camps just to make any sort of money to be able to pay any kind of bills that they have. And so the path to becoming a, a college baseball coach where you can kind of live a normal ish life. Um, it, it's a long path. It's a long road. And there's no, like we all know guys too, that are still volunteer systems at you know, after being in the game for 15, 20 years. And so there's no, there's no promise on the other end of the line that anything will work out. Right. Exactly, man. And that was, that was kind of, my thing as well was out and I went through and I'm sure we'll get into it, but my experience at Laverne was, you know, it wasn't what I was looking for out of the gate. And so I even spent some time there looking at um, some potential college jobs too. But like, we're looking at each other. We looked at a job that was paying 10 grand and I'm doing math in my head. I'm like, okay, after taxes, maybe we find a place to live that covers rent maybe for 10 months. So then what do you think yeah. we can do so we can literally eat over the course of that year? And then I'm thinking, okay, well, and my wife is you, and you know, anybody who's in this field knows like you got to have a spouse that supports what you want to do or else it's just not going to happen. And she, she was willing to make it work, but I'm just sitting there saying, man, there's no way that I can ask both of us to do that, to try and, you know, figure out some way to, to be able to afford minute rice so we can eat dinner every night, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Well, that was that was kind of my next question. I wanted to go back and ask you. You, you got married, uh, like you said, like basically a week before practices started, and at that point you hadn't necessarily coached yet, really. And I was like, did she right. really know what she was <laughs> what she was signing up for? So she had a decent idea because we met in college, so she was involved in you know our games when I was a player. Um, and to her credit, she she had never really been in a relationship, I guess, with an athlete before, especially somebody at that level. And so when she realized like just how much time that we put in practice wise, game wise, especially in the spring and stuff like she, it didn't scare her at all. She didn't flinch. And then we got engaged and we scheduled our wedding before I knew I was going to be a graduate assistant. Yeah. And so that was not planned at all. So when we found that out, it was just kind of one of those, hey, it takes what it takes. Like, we got to do what we got to do things. And she she was awesome. And she actually, when we got married, she spent some time looking for jobs and she didn't have much luck. And she ended up getting a job at Spencer's in the mall in Jackson. So she's working like five to 10, four to 10 every night, driving 35 minutes to work and back so she can work at like a little mall tchotchke shop so that we have a little bit of money rolling into the house while I'm getting paid seven bucks, 14 hours a week to mow grass around campus. Like, you know, it, it, it humble beginnings and 
people wonder how I put on 50 buck or 50 pounds that year, and it's because I said all I could afford were McDoubles for dinner. <laughs> Not kidding. So, what a life, man. It's the glorious life of coaching in college. That's <laughs> describes it pretty well. Oh my gosh. So you did, did you did you guys end up having a honeymoon or was it just uh we got married and next week we're practicing? So we did, and again, like that was because um that was because we scheduled it all before I knew. So we <laughs> that was a wild week. What ended up happening was we we had Christmas, and then two days after Christmas, we always go to Gatlinburg with her family. So we went to Gatlinburg, and we come back on January 1st. The day after I get home from Gatlinburg, um, I go to Henderson, meet the other coaches, and we drive to Dallas to go to ABCA. We go to ABCA for the four days. We come back. I watch a day and a half of bullpens for when guys get back on campus. After the second day of bullpens, I drive home. As soon as I get home, I jump in the car with my dad, my best man, and my brother. We go back to Gatlinburg for my bachelor party over three days. Come back from Gatlinburg. We have our wedding, do our wedding, drive to Atlanta, jump on a plane, fly down to Miami, go on a cruise for like four days, come back from the cruise, go right into practice. So <laughs> it uh, <laughs> couldn't look up. I was getting motion sickness over the entire two weeks, man. Oh my gosh! Wow, uh, wow! What a start! <laughs> All oh, right, right, so you uh, let's dive in. So you coached, uh, you coached at, at Freed as a GA, uh, and then, like you mentioned, you end up getting hired as a as a 23 year old uh, head high school baseball coach at Laverne. Uh, what was that like? Did did you seek out that job? Did they come to you? Um, and and why did they hire a 23 year old? So, um, well, first, because I guess they just didn't know what they were doing. I don't know. I guess I lied about it. I don't know. But um, we – so I interviewed at a different high school over winter break in Middle Tennessee, um, and that was because their head coach knew Coach Estes at Freed really well, reached out to him. Coach Estes said, hey, I know you're getting married soon. This is a good opportunity. Why don't you interview there just in case? He said, I hate to lose you, but if that's the job that you get and that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. So I interviewed at this high school, and it's a magnet school, so really, really high academically. I mean, they had national championships in robotics and in chess and hmm. just really, really crazy stuff. And I interviewed and they said, hey, we really like you. We'd like to have you on, but you haven't finished your program. And with the school that we are, you know, we can't um, we can't hire somebody who's not licensed yet. Said, I 100 percent understand. I appreciate the opportunity. And so I come back to Freed. Well, the principal at that high school was brothers with the principal at Laverne. And so the principal at Laverne knew that his head coach was retiring at the end of the year or was stepping down from his position. And so he was getting the ball rolling on finding a replacement. And his brother at the other high school called him and said, hey, I know you're trying to find a new coach. I just had a young guy in here. I think he'd be a good fit for you. And so they reached out to me and we interviewed. And I'll be honest, there are – so many lessons that I've learned over the years since I decided I wanted to coach from the social media realm, um, from Coach Whitlock, from Greg Burgess, from Coach Chaffin, from you guys, from Jeremy Sheetinger, and all these unnamed guys on social media that 
have allowed me to kind of formulate a philosophy before I really had to. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I had the opportunity to interview at Laverne, being 23, there's so much about so much that I don't know yet. And I haven't even really been able to put the stuff that I think that I believe into practice, but I knew what I thought I believed. And so being able to present that was really, really beneficial. And the school was in a position where they honestly had the flexibility to hire a young guy and let him develop. Um, They hadn't had a great couple years back to back to back in the district they were in for a couple different reasons. They, they weren't really set up to, um, to compete for championships right away. And so they knew that and they, knowing that they were okay with letting me come in and kind of find my feet. I love the the idea of formulating a philosophy before you needed one. Uh, I don't know at 23, I wasn't really that much on Twitter at that point. I don't think it was really as, as powerful as it is now, but I, at about 24, 25, I was certainly jumping on there a lot and learning a lot of things like you just mentioned while I was, an assistant coach with really no aspirations at the time of being a head coach, but like you, really similar. Like I ended up getting an interview for this, this job. And really, like you said, I like had this philosophy in my head of what I wanted my program to look like and the different things, but it was all stuff that I had stolen from guys way smarter than me, literally on Twitter and pretty much hadn't written any of it down or anything yet. It was just thoughts in my head. Right. It, uh, for me, the best thing that I started doing was writing it down. And, um, I, I started looking at it through the lens of, you know, you can have ideas, but ideas don't equal philosophy. Like you've got to have a foundation of belief that, you know, this is what I believe and this is what we do to make things successful. So how does this particular idea fit into that philosophy? And if it fits, how do I make it work? If it doesn't fit, why doesn't it fit? Is it because I don't like it or is it because it doesn't align with what we do? And so being able to sit down and kind of parse through those things really allowed me to kind of clarify, okay, this is our foundation of belief. This is our philosophy for what we're going to do in order to be successful. What was your kind of, or is maybe at this point, kind of your foundation of belief? Like, let's say you were interviewing for like a head coaching job and someone asked you like, what's the, what would be the mission of your program? What would be the the core beliefs? What types of things would you talk about? The very first thing I would talk about would be developing men who feel empowered to attack life by the time they're done with the program. Um, men of character and men of, you know, accountability who are prepared for whatever life's going to throw at them, whatever decisions they have to make, they feel like they have the power and ability to do that. I love it, man. It's so funny when I went in for that interview that I just mentioned, I think I talked so much about my philosophy on pitching and bunting and all this stuff and that they ended up hiring me. So I guess it went fine. But like what now, if I were to go in for an interview, I'm much more talking about, I'm probably not talking about baseball hardly at all. And it sounds like you aren't either. It, uh, the more I've realized over the year, and that, again, that's been the benefit of me being able to look back at say like coach Whitlock, my junior and senior year, Mm -hmm. like now, We've got we've got so many buzzwords, but 
I mean, back then, it's the same concept, but he's just not using the buzzwords. He's not on social media. He's not on Twitter. He's just putting his head down and working every day. But you can see with what he did and the ideas that he had that that was his belief as well, was, you know, we, we want to have great baseball players and we need to go out and compete and win baseball games. But the more important thing is understanding that at the end of the day, even if I have one guy go play big league baseball, if he's lucky, he's going to retire at 40. And then God willing, he's got 40 to 50 more years left that he's got to be a husband and a father and a man. And if I haven't prepared him for that, then what have I really done? Hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. And then toss it, you know, let's say over a 40 year career, you have one major league player. You, then you've beyond that guy, you've got like 400 other kids who are not major league players and they've got to start life at, you know, like many of us did at 18, 19 years old, or like you did exactly. <laughs> living off of minute rice at, at 22 right. or 21. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. So you're at, exactly. you're at Laverne and, and your first year, you're only, it was the, wasn't it? It was the COVID year, wasn't it? It was 2020. It was. So man, I'll tell you, it was, that was a tough year in general for me personally, um, in a lot of regards. And I mean, in a lot of ways it was cause I wasn't aware of what I was getting into. And in some ways, it was just, man, the nature of the beast. Uh, you know, they the school hours were 8.30 to 3.30 every day, class time. And hmm. so because of the location of the school and traffic and whatnot, I couldn't start practice till 4. Yikes. Or like in the fall, I couldn't start workouts till 4. And that meant that we weren't, by the time we're getting done individuals and we're getting done conditioning and lifting and stuff like that, like with whatever we're allowed to do at the time, we're not wrapping up till six, six thirty, and I'm not getting home till seven, seven thirty because I live 30 minutes from the school. And if there's something else we need to do, then, I mean, I'm getting home that late and that's in August. That's not even us getting into March, April. And so that was, that was tough, but that for me at the time, that just came with it. That was okay. This is what I had to do, but I was the only coach on staff. I had one assistant coach and he was, um, I knew him. I had a relationship with him, but he was not hired by the school. He just was a full-time substitute. They used him to do um, after-school detention, too. So he's an hour late to practice every day. So I'm really running the show solo. And then there were several things that I was trying to figure out on my own that were just made – they were made difficult in a lot of regards. And so, you know, we found our way through it, figured it out. And on top of that, there was – there was a culture reset that needed to happen for the kids. Um, you could see over the past few years that there have been some things that slipped to the wayside. And so it was, it was a very, very consistent, difficult struggle to get these guys to understand who I expected them to be and who they needed to be in order for us to compete. And, you know, anytime you're going through that, it, it makes it, it's tough every day walking into the building and knowing, okay, I'm going to have to deal with something. I'm going to have to talk to this kid about why he did this. I'm probably going to have someone lunging up the hill by the time practice starts because he's done, he's done something at school he shouldn't have done or something like that. And again, it comes with the territory, you know, because it's your, it's, it's my responsibility to make sure that they get the lessons they need. And that doesn't mean it's easy all the time, but you've got to care enough about people to hold them accountable. And that's what I 
told myself every day, especially when it got difficult with those guys. So we roll into the spring and we play Stewart's Creek High School, who's a really good high school in Middle Tennessee. Um, I think they won the state championship in like their first or second year of being open, which was, I think, 2014. <laughs> and they actually, the funny part is, they opened about 10 minutes from Laverne. And so they ended up, when they opened, took a ton of the kids from Laverne, went into that school. And with the rezoning and everything, there's a, you know, you can kind of see that they have a lot of the kids that we would have had and we don't. And, you know, you do what you got to do with it. So we open the season against them and opening night we go out and, dude, we get blasted 19 to 1. Like, just absolutely kicked in the teeth. And we were getting no hit until the fifth. And then I had a kid come up and tomahawk a fastball over the left field fence, <laughs> broke up no hitter in the shutout. And I'm like, all right, thank God. Right. So, I mean, I'm, it was, that was a, a tough night. You know, we roll out a senior starter. He throws 40 pitches in the first without getting three outs. Got to go to a kid who hasn't pitched before in his career. He ends up throwing, I mean, 85 pitches or so in his first high school appearance. Gets us through like three innings. End up throwing a little freshman who barely spoke English, who's never pitched before just to finish the game out. Like it was, it was one of those kinds of nights. And uh, we go out game two, we lose six to four. We give up four unearned runs, and I'm looking at the guys. I'm like, hey, you showed tonight that if we make the plays we are supposed to make, we can play with these guys. Like, that's what I want you to see. I know the losing sucks. I know all you see on the scoreboard is a 6-4, to four and people are going to say, oh, it's just another Laverne loss. But if you look at what happened in the game, we can play with these guys if you do what I know you can do. And the next night we come out, game three, and we win six to four. Hey yo. First time they've ever like first time they beat Stewart's Creek in years. And they're going nuts after the game. Parents are going nuts. And I'm sitting there like I mean at twenty three years old, like I try to I don't like praise and credit very much, but it, it felt really good to get that, you know, to get that in the column. <laughs> and then after the game, like we have a kid and the celebration just screams something at the top of his lungs, remarkably inappropriate. And it just immediately brings you back off cloud nine. And you're like, I've got work to do. But, you know, you take the good with the bad and it's, it's okay. We, we can do something here. And so we go out the next day or two days. I think it might have rained the next day. So two days later, we're going out to practice and we're pulling the tarp off the field. <clears throat> And I'm sitting there supervising from the hill, making sure it gets pulled off right. And my D comes walking out and he says, hey, you got to shut it down. I'm like, what are you talking about? Shut it down. Is our weather or something coming? He's like, no, man, you got to shut practice down. I'm like, what are you, why? What are you talking about? He's like, man, TSSAA just like suspended all spring activities because of COVID. And that was legitimately the first thing I'd ever even heard of COVID. Like he said the <laughs> word. And I'm like, that. like, I don't know what you're <laughs> And I opened my email from the district and it's like all spring activities have been canceled until or have been suspended until further notice due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? So I tell these guys, we bang it, we pull tarp up, we roll tarp up, get it put away, tell them practice is over, tell them, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. Stay on standby and I'll let you know as soon as we can get back out here. Never got back out on the field again. I mean... 
got a couple days later, got an email, all spring sports have been canceled for the remainder of the spring. A couple days after that, all classes have been canceled for the remainder of the year. And it's just a whirlwind, man. It's like, what in the world is going on? And I mean, that that's legitimately like the last thing that we did at Laverne during my time was beat Stewart's Creek in game three and then roll the tarp off the field and never got back on it again. It's crazy, man. What a weird, Absolutely. what a, what a weird year. And well, but basically past two years that it's been, um, for everybody, we've had just a lot of different stories of, of how that moment happened. And like you said, didn't even know what, hadn't even heard of COVID at all <laughs> before then. Right. And I think that for me was like a, <laughs> a testament to how we can be as coaches sometimes, you know, like yeah. I'm just I'm blinders on eyes forward, just thinking about what we got to do. I got no idea what's going on in the world around me. And yeah. says that and I'm like, what? That's what I like. One of my assistant coaches plays video games stuff. And still, and I'm like, how do you have time to do anything outside of, of teach and coach like it just you get home and i'm like it's so late it's just time for bed sort of a thing like um yeah turning blinders on for sure um so uh, then you end up you end up at coffee county central you, you kind of come back home how did that process play out um so i get i didn't realize that i hadn't like unsubscribed from all of the the job notification district notification emails that I'd signed up for when I was a GA, I guess, like it just never registered with me. And so we were actually driving to my mom's house for Mother's Day. And I got an email that said Coffee County Central School or Coffee County Schools has posted a job opening. And I was like, oh, went to swipe on the email and I saw the word baseball in it. I was like, well, what is that? And I opened it and it said they were looking for a pitching coach. I was like, no kidding. So at this point, they were three coaches removed from any coach that I had played for. So I didn't really know the head guy. I'd talked to him a little bit just because I'd been back to throw some, but I didn't really know him, know him. But I had his phone number, so I texted him and I said, hey, just out of curiosity, what's this uh, pitching coach opening you got? And I hit send and I can't, not even two minutes later, he calls me. <laughs> he goes, hey, are you interested? I said, I ain't going to lie to you. I mean, I'm interested. Um, be awesome to come home, work there. And he said, all right, well, let me make some phone calls. And he made some calls. And I knew the principal. The principal had been an assistant principal when I was in high school here. And he called me and said, hey, I heard you're interested in coaching. I said, absolutely. Depends on if you guys can, you know, get me in the door so I can pay my bills or not because I can't just coach. And he says, well, right now we have math and English available. So, well, if that's what it takes and I'll teach English, just sign me up for the praxis and I'll get it done. And that's it, what ended up happening. So <laughs> there we go. That's your birth into English. Absolutely. <laughs> so now you're, now you're uh, the uh, pitching coach there. Um, how, how'd the season go or how has the season gone? Man, it, uh, it was awesome. Be a hundred percent honest with you. Um, we came into this year looking at the fall and we said, man, to be honest, I'm, I'm hoping we can pull out 10 games uh, because I just wasn't sure what we were going to be able to do offensively in the coach's office every day. We're talking saying, man, I think we're going to be able to pitch a little bit, but I don't know if we're going to be able to put it together in the box. 
and we go out in the spring and we came out it i don't want to say like gangbusters because we weren't dominant but man we just we showed up every day and we ended up we went 21 and 11 nice. um first team in coffee county since 2010 to win 20 games in a year wow and we were one win away from clinching a region berth again and we ran into the district pitcher of the year twice who <laughs> i mean and he we saw him three times this year and to our credit our at bats got better and better and better against him every outing and they were competitive games and to his credit man he was just he was a bulldog he pitched his butt off and he made pitches when he needed to and the game we lost that ended our season was one of those games where it was somebody's got to win and it sucks for whoever loses. You know, it was one to one going into the bottom of the sixth. They pieced together and manufacture a run. And it was kind of just like a punch in the mouth that we didn't have time to recover from. We had three outs to make it up and we put some good swings on balls, but it just wasn't in the cards. So years like that are usually, <laughs> or at least in my experience, have been the most fun that I've had as a coach where you're not really sure that the team's going to be able to, you know, win a lot of games. You, you, there's a lot of questions and then kids just put things together. And the, those years are always really special. Absolutely, man. And that was, you know, I told, I told them at the end of the year, I said, at the end of the day, guys, there's no replacement for just having good dudes in the locker room who show up every day and we wouldn't have been able to do what we did this year if it wasn't for you guys and you guys being those good dudes because we didn't I mean we have we have a couple kids that are going to go play college ball and but we don't have that roster that you roll out and you say hey one through nine we got two kids that are maybe going d1 we got a couple kids that'll go juco or naia we got yada yada like we we didn't have that uh, we just had some really quality guys that showed up and worked hard every day and cared about each other. And you could see that on a day-to-day -day basis in the field in the spring. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, when you have players that are good people, obviously it makes things way better. I saw a tweet, it might have been yesterday, something like that. And it was like, I'd rather lose with guys that I, I, I love and, and trust than, than win with guys that I don't. Uh, and sometimes right. it really works out well where you've got guys you love and trust and you also win with them. Obviously that makes things way more <laughs> right, fun right. too. Um, so you, you've been a, a head coach for a little bit, so you, you've dipped your, your toes in. So you have a little bit of an understanding, obviously, well, actually a huge understanding of everything that goes into being a head coach. And so I've said it before, but if you can have assistant coaches in your program that were head coaches before, it kind of makes things run a lot better because you've got guys who tend to be a little bit better about just jumping in and getting jobs done that need to get done. Um, Absolutely. So as the, as the, you're the pitching coach, but as we all know in high school, I don't know if there's any pitching coach that literally only does pitching. So what, what, what do you do as an assistant coach? Um, primarily whatever our head coach asked me to do. Um, anything that I see that needs to get done and then work with pitchers and hitters and defense on top of that, to be honest with you. Um, like I, I'm, I'm a pitching guy. I pitched in college. It's what I spend a lot of my time looking at. That's what I probably understand to the most depth. Um, but like, for instance, I absolutely love coaching infield. Like I love working with infielders. Um, and so sometimes I've got to 
when there's a chance, I love to get in and work with them and get my hands dirty. And sometimes I got to step back and say, hey, that's not my that's not my sphere right here. So I need to let them do what they're going to do. And I need to worry about my pitchers. But we have a really good dynamic in our coaching staff of of accountability with each other, but also a lot of, you know, we're very open with each other about, hey, I see you guys doing this. What if we tweak that there? And and we we try it out this way. And there's no there's not a lot of ego in our coaching room. And that makes it, you know, that's kind of why this year was able to happen as well was because there were several things we made adjustments on where, to be frank, if we weren't able to openly communicate with each other, those adjustments never would have been made. And I don't think we would have had the success that we had. Sounds like a really good program. You got good, good kids in there. It sounds like the it sounds like the head coach is giving direction, but also a ton of freedom. And like you said, if there's if you can have a coaching staff that doesn't have a lot of ego on it, makes the kids better because now you're not so worried about, well, what if you know, what if I say this? Will you know the the quote unquote infield coach will he get upset with me or something like that? I think I think when you can have a culture like that in a program, it is ultimately really good for the kids that are in there. Absolutely. And that's what, at the end of the day, you know, that's what I've always come back to is it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about the program and it's about the players involved in it. So as long as every decision that we make is prioritizing the program and its health and the players and their development, then we can't really go wrong. Now we might do something and find out that doesn't work, but it's based in the best thing that it could be based in, which is the development of the guys in the program. Let's get into the pitching side of it since you are the pitching coach, right? <laughs> and right. you obviously had a lot of success as a pitcher. Um, as the pitching coach, um, what what kind of freedoms do you have? Are you are you making all the mound visits? Are you kind of deciding pitching rotations? How, how does your role play out as a pitching coach? So our, our head coach gave me a lot of freedom and autonomy this year to pretty much do it the way I wanted to. Um, so I was in charge of pretty much that entire sphere. Um, pitching changes, rotation, who's coming in next, calling pitches, um, development throughout the entire fall, and even some auton- even some, some peripheral stuff with that. So, hey, this is how I'm going to pitch this guy. I'd like to see the defense shifted this way. And he's, to his credit, he's like, all right, if that's what you need, and that's what we do. And we had a really good year as a staff. Um, it was kind of absurd looking at it, saying, I mean, you know, and it doesn't matter what I teach, what I say, what I do. The guys have to go out and do it. And to their credit, they pitched their absolute butts off this year, man. Like, there's nothing I could have asked more out of them. And just some of the numbers looking at it in our, in our year-end review are, are absolutely absurd. And being able to look at that and knowing that it's working and letting the guys see that what we're trying to do as a program works has just been it's so, so important, and so valuable for them. How do you how do you manage the I, I loved what you said about, you know, when you have a, a, a an opposing hitter and you want to, you know, shift the defense a certain way based on how you're going to pitch him. Because a lot of times in high school, you know, if you're. If it's not a really well oiled machine and I'm going to pitch, you know, this batter a certain way, but I 
I haven't found a way to communicate that to the defensive players or the coach that's in charge of them and moving them around. Uh, it's not going to go well. Right. Like if I'm going to, if I'm planning on throwing this guy, everything, like just trying to jam him and I have my defense kind of playing a different, a different shift or something like that, it's going to end up, it's going to end up at a disadvantage. How do you communicate that during games? So let's say, you know, in the first inning, you learn something about an opposing hitter that you want to change moving forward. How are you communicating that and making sure that the defense moves the way you need them to move the next time that guy's up to bat? So for us, that's actually an area that I would like for us to get better at going into the fall of this year and the spring of next year. Um, and our, our head coach and I have talked about that because it was something that we were kind of 50-50 on going into the spring was, okay, how often do we want to do this? And then how are we going to communicate it? And so it kind of, we were iffy on it and then incorporating it. We didn't do it quite as much as I would have liked to, but that's, again, it's one of those things where you almost have to ease people into it, right? Like our defense and our, even some of our coaches and get them to understand that, Hey, there's a reason that we're going to do this. And so what, I would communicate it as what I would tell our head coach because him and I spend most of the inning right next to each other communicating about what we want to do is I'll say, hey, this is what I've noticed on this guy, so this is what I'm going to throw him. What do you think about moving so-and-so a little bit this way? And he says, okay, sounds good to me. So then when that guy gets in there, if it's able to wait, if that guy's not like on deck – when that guy gets back in the dugout, say it's our center fielder or our shortstop or second baseman, we'll talk to him and say, hey, we'll let you know whenever, say, three holes back up. And when three holes back up, we'd like you four steps to the six hole. And if they get where we want them to be, then we don't worry about it. And if they're not there, then, I mean, I'm, <laughs> we don't overcomplicate it, right? Well, our shortstop this year was Griffin. He was a senior. And I'd say, hey, Griff. And I just flash a couple, like <laughs> I flash my hand a little bit to the six hole. He takes a couple steps that way, and you know we see what happens. I I'm a big opinion that at the end of the at the end of the day, you can't give players on the other team too much credit. Um, let them see what you're trying to do, and let them see if they can beat you. You know, if they see that you've got three guys on the left side, and that makes them uncomfortable, then okay, prove to me that you can hit that ball to the right side. And if you can, then I'll make an adjustment then. If you can't, then we're going to keep doing it until you show you can. Yeah, I think especially at the high school level, we give opposing – well, look at – you can watch Major League Baseball and they'll – same sort of a thing, like prove that you can't and then we'll stop shifting and a lot of guys can't prove it. We did that. We've done that right. in, in, um, in a lot of summer games where we'll kind of test some things out just to see – is this something that we could, you know, potentially use in the spring season? And we've used, you know, some extreme shifts like that where, you, you know, you pull all the infielders over to the left side of the infield. And right. to your credit, yeah, man, high school hitters, sometimes we try to give people way too much credit because a lot of the times they see that and then it kind of does something in their own mind where now all of a sudden they're not even taking their normal swings and they're still not able to, beat it and they're still just hitting routine rollover ground balls right. to our shortstop who's basically playing it <laughs> like between the six hole basically absolutely it's just it's just different right and sometimes different scares people yeah um, you said so when you guys play summer ball do you do it as a as a high school program or how do you guys run your summer ball 
Yeah, so we the way we do it and, and the way most teams in Oregon, at least the bigger schools do it in Oregon, is we run um, a high school team, sometimes two. So most of the bigger schools like us will have two summer teams. One ends up being like, a, I don't know, it's, it's probably like upper level JV, lower level varsity. Uh, and then the okay. other one ends up being mostly made up of kids who just played their freshman year. Um Okay. And they'll play like 20 to 30 games. And what happens usually is our, our better players go and play for the, the Legion team. Legion ball here in Oregon is still pretty strong. Um, we'll have right. a few kids that end up, you know, really they're attached to their travel organizations. So they'll go do that, which is fine because it gets us more opportunities for, for other players to become leaders in the program. And so, um, yeah, so most teams here will have, will have two summer teams, maybe one uh, made up of high school kids that they already have. And then, you know, like I said, the, the more talented players, a lot of times will go play somewhere else. Okay. Cause I know like Legion ball down here has kind of fallen off, but the travel ball sphere is really, really exploded. And so it's it's become for a lot of programs down here. I mean, I would I would say borderline impossible for them to run like a high school season. Yeah. Um, unless you're like you said, running it with just your your younger guys, which is something worth looking into when now that you say that out loud, because I mean, always looking for ways to to let those guys get on the field and develop and kind of learn the program a little bit, too. So I like that idea. Yeah, it's I've liked it. It's been good. I have right now. We don't have too much of a problem because the core of our players still end up playing our with our summer teams. Um, and so it works out pretty good. And, you know, the better players, for, honestly, for them to play with our summer team, it would be almost a waste of their time. They'd probably get worse because a lot of the right. pitchers we're seeing are JV pitchers. So like if you played varsity baseball this year, you probably wouldn't really want to play summer ball with us unless you were kind of a fringe varsity player, because then you're, you're facing a lot of JV pitchers who aren't really going to make you better. They're not really going to challenge you. Um, but at the yeah, same true. time, like that, I, we, we, that can be good too, because for, as you know, some high school kids, um, they really need to get confidence. And for some of them, if they've just finished up a spring season where maybe they were a fringe varsity guy and they, you know, maybe they got 20 at bats and hit, you know, a buck 20. Um, sometimes for them, just playing in a summer team, a summer league and having a chance to have some success will, will help them too. So you never really know. That makes sense. I like that idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. So the, the, the idea of summer ball has, like you said, it's, we can see it shifting here too. Um, the Legion baseball is certainly has definitely begun its decline in Oregon. Uh, and it's, it coincides really, really well with, with the increased travel ball teams, um, which is fine. It's, right. it's what it is. Um, yeah, it's funny. I played, so I graduated from high school in 2007 and, Back then, playing for the local Legion team was that was everything, and you you would never not go do that if you had a chance to do it. And I remember that year we had one sophomore, or he he was entering his junior year of high school, and he was playing on the Legion team, and we were like, "Whoa, like this dude is legit!" And and (laughs) almost unbelievable that. Go for it. That he's just there at that age, right? Yeah. Uh, I can remember, I mean, even back when I was in high school, like I, I guess when I was in high school was when travel ball was really starting to get big. Mm-hmm. Um, like we've got the, the Knights baseball organization down here and 
now the Knights baseball organization probably has, I mean, shoot, they probably have 35 or 40 teams from 7U up to 18U and like four to six teams at each level. And when I was playing for them, the one year I played for them in high school, they had two teams at each age level. And directly prior to the year that I played for them, it was the same thing. It was all high school ball. So you played for your high school team in the summer. You played for your Legion team. And it was it was valuable because you got, you know, you got familiar with your your coaches and the program. And if you were a young guy who hadn't gotten much time on the field, you really got that experience, right? And so yeah. – that's what that's one thing for me that and I guess not the I'm probably too young for a back in my day kind of thing. But <laughs> you know, it's uh I just see I see a lot of value in that. Not to take away from the travel ball sphere, like it benefited me and I've coached in it and there's there are definite positives from it. Um but I saw a really good tweet recently that said, you know, I've never seen a kid cry when they take off their travel ball uniform for the last mm. time. But every single year I watch these kids ball their eyes out the last time they lose a high school baseball game. Yeah. And for me, that you know, that just kind of comes back to the same thing, like summer ball, getting to represent your community and be part of that and play with the kids you grew up with. And not only that, but the value that it brings to your program in the spring, too, over the long term is I would love to, to grow that a little bit here, kind of resurrect it a little bit. Yeah, same thing. I don't, I don't have any – gripes necessarily with travel ball or anything like that i think it's it's probably uh, in the long run it probably ends up being good for kids and stuff but for again you know back in my day right but it was the the idea of playing with that set of kids for all four years including summer or at least three years of summer ball i guess you you obviously learn to play with each other you you learn what buttons to push with each other like it's just you're basically exactly. doubling the amount of games you play with each other every year and i think there's a lot of value in that that we're we're now obviously we're missing that now and so you're it's like the spring season ends and everybody goes their separate ways and see right. next fall sort of a thing and it's uh, it's a huge opportunity to continue that culture growth to continue learning how to be a good teammate to handle success and failure, how to lead um, playing different positions than you normally would kind of move guys right. around a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I think there's, I think there's something missing right now in that regard. It's, it's just proximity, right? Like just being yeah. around guys, there's no, there's no downside to it. Um, it forces you to solve problems. It forces you to get close. It forces you to, you know, find a way to enjoy being around the guys that you might not like. Yeah, that too. So that's, many of them. That's life, man. You're going to be in a lot of situations where you'll have uh, people you're around that you don't like and you got to figure it out. <laughs> you got to find a way to make it work. Exactly. Oh my gosh. That's so true. Um, as a, as an assistant coach now, kind of, obviously you're still, you're young, which is really cool. Cause you've got, you've got a ton of time left ahead of you, uh, in this game. But, um, if, if you kind of went back a couple years to that, that GA version of yourself, uh, who is kind of preparing to break into high school, um, did, is there anything that you would go back and do differently or any like advice that you'd give to that version of yourself after having the experiences that you've had up through now? Two things that I would probably tell myself back then is one, be a better assistant coach. Um, not that I was necessarily, I guess, bad at it, but 
understanding the difference between talking with the other coaches about a different decision that you would have made compared to the head coach and then understanding where the line is for, okay, you're talking about it, but now you're disparaging the head coach. Um, and even because even if you're not a bad guy, even if you're somebody who has a, a good head and a good heart, you can cross that line sometimes. Um, I know I have, and it, you, it's one of those things. It, it's really easy to do it. It's really easy to get caught up in it. And you just got to remind yourself, man, like, for better or worse, he's the guy that has been trusted and is getting paid to make those decisions. And so he's asked you to work for him. You need to trust what he's doing. If he asks for your opinion, give it. If not, you trust him to make the call. Um, and then just understanding, man, like communicate, 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 because it's so easy to get that conversation going in your head about this has got to be what he's thinking. This has got to be why he's doing what he's doing, but you don't know. You don't know why he's doing what he's doing. You don't know what he's thinking. And as soon as you start to communicate, it's that human interaction, right? So you become more sympathetic. You listen, you all of a sudden, like now you're working together. Whereas when you stay in your own head and you don't communicate, it's very easy for it to become a, a friction interaction, a one-on-one -on -one with an interaction that hasn't even happened. And when that happens, it infects your thoughts. It affects the way that you do your job. It infects the way you think about people. And I would just say like communicate, man, because there's nothing bad that happens from communication ever. Yeah, that's, that's so good. I, I was sitting here as you're saying that last part, like in my head, thinking about how many times in my life, not just coaching, but definitely coaching too, where I've built up this, fake conversation in my head with some, you know, whoever I'm maybe disagreeing with or just not sure what decision or why they made a decision. And you're like having this made up conversation with them in your head and the conversation going really badly. And, and instead of just walking up to me, Hey man, why, why'd you do that? Like, can you explain that to me? Help me understand. And the conversation never goes bad. It's always great. And it's always cordial. And you, <laughs> it's just, Oh my gosh, exactly. the ability to communicate and not be afraid of just asking, Hey, what, you know, what was that about? Uh, or, Hey, did you, did, maybe do you think about this? Like, uh, I, I don't know, just the, the conversation never goes as bad as we make it up to be in our head. Exactly. And I can sit there and I can say it right now and I know I'm still going to struggle with it. You know, like yeah. it's, it's oh, one yeah. of those lifelong lessons things where you've consistently got to hold yourself accountable to it. And it was even something this year where even if you're on the same staff and you work well together in the moment, like he's in the third base box, I'm in the dugout, he's got to make a call. He's going to say something or do something that I might not agree with. I can't just sit here and and bang on it and, and, and make this conversation up in my head. Like I, I got to trust that our relationship's good enough that I can just ask him, Hey, what are we thinking right here? How come that's the call we made? And like you said, it, it never goes bad. No, never. It never goes bad. I, I'm really fortunate this year. Actually, I guess last year, but we had, we didn't even play a game last year with the COVID year. Uh, but, uh, 
uh, we, we ended up having a, a coach that just fell into our lap. He was uh, at school as an avid tutor, so he's only there a couple days a week. I, I teach avid, so I you know I interact with him a little bit. Really nice guy, and then he just kind of came up to my room one day and he's like, "Hey, you're the head baseball coach." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Hey, I don't know. I'll come coach for free. Like, I just want to." I'm like, "Great!" And turns out he's been amazing. And he's been kind of the first assistant I have, I've had who, and I'm only in my fifth year, so it's not like for 30 years, no one questioned me, but uh, he's the first right, guy I have who right. consistently like brings things up to me. I and mean, he's not doing it in like a way to fight me or anything like that. He like, he genuinely wants to know like, Hey, why'd you make that choice? And I'll explain my right. thoughts and he'll be like, Oh, that makes sense. And sometimes he'll be like, Oh, did you ever think about doing this? And as it turns out, I know everybody always says they don't want yes, men. But you really right. don't want yes men. You want people who, in a in a cordial way, can can question you and talk to you because one, it helps you articulate your thoughts for yourself, and maybe you better understand why you made the decision, and you're still great with it. Or, like you know, we all know too, it opens up our our mind too, and we go, huh, you know, I didn't think about that part of it or you know maybe that down the line and so it can be really valuable to have coaches like that and so any i think that's incredible advice for assistant coaches just communicate exactly and that's that's what i was going to say too is like it, it's a great exercise for the person that's being asked the question yeah because then it gives you an opportunity to really clarify what you think and it's like i tell our players all the time if you don't understand something or if you if you need clarification ask because if I can't explain it to you, then I need to reevaluate what we're doing or why we're doing it. Like you need to be able to understand it and I need to be able to understand why we're doing it. And it's the same exercise for coaches too. Like we're always trying to get better. Everybody says they're trying to get better. I mean, the buzzword now is lifelong learner. Putting that into practice is it's difficult because it requires you to, to put your ego to the side and ask yourself questions and to answer questions and, and to, to really look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, maybe me saying or doing that might actually not be the best way. <laughs> but I wouldn't have realized that if, if my assistant coach hadn't asked me, hey, how come we're doing that? Hey, why did you make that call? Yeah, you just you just continue the same thing. I've had coaches who um, I, I wasn't a parent until last year, and I he's two, so it's like I have any experience of what it's like for him being in high school. And so I've had some I've had older assistant coaches who've been really valuable in that respect too. Of like, hey, having been a parent and having my kid gone through a program before, here's how the parents might see you based on that decision, or here's where you might need to explain this to a parent, or you know, here's what mom's probably thinking over there and why you might want to like consider explaining it to the kid or to the mom or something like that and so right. like assistant coaches have so much value and i i hope they feel empowered within their program to like you said to communicate um it's just so important do you ever are, are, is being a head coach something you aspire to be eventually again i believe so right now yes um <laughs> You know, that's the thing about life is you never know what direction it's going to take you. Um, but I've been, you know, to be fully transparent, part of the reason I ended up here was because Coach Martin, our head coach here now, he, over the past five years that he's been here, per his words, not mine, has not had great success with assistant coaches um, for a myriad of reasons. And so when I got here, I told him, I want to be fully transparent with you. 
I would love to be the head coach here one day. And I want you to know that on the front end because I want you to trust that I'm not undercutting you. I'm not ever doing anything behind your back. Like I want you to know that on the front end so that you know exactly what I want to be, so that you know that everything that I'm doing here long term is to benefit the program. Because if it benefits the program, it benefits you. As long as you want to stay here, it benefits the players, it benefits me, it benefits the school. Like, and I just want you to know that so that you can trust that we're pulling the rope the same direction. So <laughs> you're, you're not going around pulling the rope a different direction to make sure he gets fired. Right. So you're, you're doing it the right exactly. way, because like you said, you're, you want, if you were to ever take over the program, you want it in a healthy place. And the best exactly. way to do that is to be the best assistant coach you can be. Right. Right. And that's kind of what. You know, some of the stories he's told me about some experiences he's had with former assistant coaches, I just don't I don't quite understand in what world it it benefits you to to burn the whole thing down so that if it works out the exact way you want it to, then you had to rebuild it from scratch. Yeah. Like that just doesn't that doesn't click with me. And again, what it I mean, for me it's it's all about the players, it's all about the program. And so even short term, even if it's just for a year like you're ruining that experience for those players. And I just have a lot of trouble reconciling that in my head. And I don't ever want to, you know, I'm not in the business, I guess, of, of disparaging other people. But when it gets into the field of, of ruining the, the baseball experience for kids, for high schoolers, I just, I have a hard time not being opinionated on that because most of these kids only get four years to play high school baseball. And I mean, and that's if that's if, you know, you're privileged enough to play all four years, make the team and everything. And God forbid something like a COVID year happens. So they lose <laughs> one and then they've had one year get ruined because they've got two coaches who are behind each other's backs, constantly pulling the rope different directions. And they're hearing different things. And every day they've got to come into the locker room and wonder, oh, shoot, what is Coach X going to say today versus Coach Y? Are like what what's happening and just that constant tension it just ruins the experience man and I have so much trouble not being opinionated about that no I think you're I think you're spot on and you said it you said it really well right it's it, if if this kid's only got two three maybe four years you need to make it I think it's something Butch Chapman said once I'm sure you've heard him say it he's probably said it a million times so everybody's heard him say something like this but um, you want to make their experience in high school feel like the major leagues in all in as many ways right. as you can because they're not going to become major leaguers right you, you know like you you know maybe right. one out of your entire career might sniff it but um, so you want to make it the best experience you can make it for the kids and if you're doing that like everyone's going to benefit from it and like you said if, if that ends up being you as the head coach there someday in the future you benefit from that too and you don't want to break that down um Kyle, I love I love talking to you, man. I, I you know obviously through Twitter, we've I've known you for a long time, but it's cool to cool to get to hear from you. And I almost said in person, <laughs> not quite in person, for a few thousand <laughs> miles away, but close enough. Um, before I before I let you go, I just wanted to you know give you the mic one more time and just see if there's anything we missed or advice you have or anything you've learned along the way that might be might be beneficial that we we didn't cover. Man, I, just to build off what Coach Chaffin just said, um, Coach Whitlock said in high school at one point, he said, everybody says they want to go to Vanderbilt, 
well, right now this is your Vanderbilt. So treat it that way, make it that way. And that's the same thing, you know, um, I've really appreciated you having me on. It's been awesome. Uh, I'm out there on social media. I don't have the following of those big fish, but I love to talk about it and I love to meet new people. So if anybody hears this and they want to, they want to interact, I think my, my handle on Twitter is at Kyle Douglas eight. So follow me, message me, whatever you want to do. And I, I just love learning about the game, man. So, so anybody who wants to interact, reach out. I appreciate you having me on coach. I'm just, I'm just sad that Kyle Douglas one wasn't available for you. Right. <laughs> I was just a little bit late. <laughs> Dang it. Oh man. I appreciate you so much. Uh, thanks again, Kyle. I really appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Like I said at the start of the show, it's been such a strange experience getting to talk to so many dudes on here who I'd only ever known before through Twitter. Years of back and forth, and he didn't disappoint. Huge thanks to Kyle for jumping on the line. And thanks again to Netting Pros and the Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation for sponsoring the episode, and to you for clicking that play button. Once again, if you haven't joined the club, please do it. It takes about 90 seconds to sign up. You'll be part of the premier national organization of high school coaches, trainers, administrators, parents, players, and more. Plus, you'll get the weekly newsletter in your inbox every single Wednesday. You can find that link down in the show notes. If you're listening to the show within the first few days of its release, then next week's newsletter is a guest feature from my guy, China McCartney. Don't forget to leave a rating, maybe even a review. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mr. Max Price, and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. That's it. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for everything that you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you. <laughs>